Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to the Roundtable Consult. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Williams, and I'm joined by my uh, wandering co-host, Attorney Sonia Madison. Good morning to you. Good morning. I feel like I'm, it's going to be not as great because I don't have all my equipment, so not everyone's going to be able to hear me as well. And I know they just can't wait for that wisdom that I've got to share. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They've been waiting for about two and a half years, as long as we've been doing this program. So. I, I can at least tell that the hate that you spit still comes through clearly. <laughs> <laughs> It's nothing but love, you know, that's that warring love, you know, so <laughs> you have to be one to understand it. <laughs> well, I will say I got my hair laid just for you. Now it's laid. <laughs> it was laid before, but, you know, if you wanted to go on ahead and get it extended and flattened and all that other stuff, go right on ahead. <laughs> it's still, it's still beautiful to me, so. <laughs> Everywhere well, you wear it, even when you put your Aunt Jemima wrap on, that's the. <laughs> and, and again, viewers, he has not seen the Aunt Jemima wrap. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, my only requirement is come to work with your hair, did. <laughs> Some kind of way. Let's make sure it's did. And I laugh because I remember when I was transitioning. And I would do my hair, but, you know, by the time you get to work, who knows what it looked like. So I, in my mind, thought, I'm sure a lot of guys was like, really, Sonia? You didn't even try? And I'm thinking, actually, I did. <laughs> but, I mean, this is just not easy. It takes, it takes a lot of work, um, a lot of time, you know, learning to, to transition to natural hair. So Well, I'm glad one person had their hair did all week long because she needed to have it did. <laughs> Judge Katanji Jackson Brown Jackson. Jackson Brown. (laughs) (laughs) So I know you must be chomping at the bit to get to talking about that. I was going to say, this is the moment where you can sit back and just enjoy the beautiful red that I'm about to get. Let me me first. (laughs) Let me first start by saying the poise the answers, just her whole manner and representation had me smiling from ear to ear. I mean, every time the camera panned to her, I, I just couldn't help but, but just smile. It was, it's just that picture that's circulating with her daughter in the background, that was all of us to mm-hmm. me. You know, that was just all of us just smiling. And, and I say I smile looking at her, but when the camera panned to the senators, the smell quickly drops, and I was <laughs> <laughs> oftentimes on my feet with my hands or my hand pointed, like, say this one more time. <laughs> I got your back, Kentucky. Say this you, one more time. You, did, um, you didn't get tearful like Cory Booker, and, you know, every time well, I look speech. at you, just looking at you. <laughs> okay. now, now, his speech, yes, there. I did get tearful during his speech. I, I was right with her when she picked up that tissue. I was like, oh, mom was already... <laughs> so I needed two or three more. Oh, she was trying um, to hold it back. She was trying to hold I was like, she's like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Will you get on with this thing? <laughs> um, so, so I guess I'll start with the the bad and with the good. So what frustrated me, and I know we talked about this before, and that we kind of anticipated that there was gonna be a dis- disparate um treatment as it relates to her versus two previous hearings that we saw during the Trump administration is with the hypocrisy. I mean, again, harping on the child pornography um, sentencing that she's done when almost over 80% of the judges sentenced the same way was extremely, extremely frustrating. And, and also keeping in mind, Amy Coney Berry, you can't even talk to her or have the similar type of questions that was posed to Judge Brown 
just because she was never in that same position of having the experience of a judge that Judge um, Katanji Brown did. And so hearing them harp on, oh, how could you have sentenced this person to you know, something less than the guidelines and anyone that touches child pornography should automatically get 50 years. Keep in mind, uh, Matt Gates is sitting two seats down from you who is being <laughs> investigated on um, statutory rape charges, your own, and you have the gall to tell her anyone that just clicks on a site should get 50 years was appalling uh, over and over. And it, Kudos to her because the way she explained it, I hope that people listen. I know some people just get those sound bites, so they're probably only going to hear the question without the answer. But when she articulated that, listen, the case that you're referencing in particular, this was an 18-year-old who um, came out to his family, and of course they were disowning him or not, but he just clicked on a porn site, and that's what came up. And, um, and he immediately, you know, was charged and immediately had to some degree some remorse but but again it was 18 first time and he's going through a lot of issues coming out and then going through that whole transitioning of sharing who he feels like his truth is to the world and being rejected those circumstances are why you need diversity in the court because you need people to be able to share their experiences so that you can put that in context when it comes to sentencing. I mean, the crime is it's what it is. It was, he committed the crime and he was being punished. There was no doubt. But to say he, he deserved 50 years for one click and knowing that, again, we are in a day and age, one click can pop up 10,000 images. And I think that was the point is that, hey, you're not just getting one click or one image or 10 images, you're getting 10,000. The law hasn't changed to the effect of where we are in the internet stage to put that person, an 18 year old in jail 50 years for one click does not, is not justice. And again, I appreciate how she articulated, I hope people heard it, but I was just so again frustrated with the sinners because I'm, I'm looking at them like, did you read the facts of the case or is it all about spewing your campaign agenda? Well, because you know let's exactly, it's the latter. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're doing, and, and let's be clear. I mean, I know midterms are coming, but I don't think that's going to come up at all. And I know they, some of them say, yeah, we have a bill in the works to try to get um, some changes done. But I'm like, you guys cannot handle immigration. You you can't handle a lot of policy issues related now. What makes you even going to pass any bill outside of um, a, a, a instance where if you don't pass it, the government's going to shut down because of budgetary reasons. And even then, you're only passing to agree to a, a debt ceiling being raised. And so so that was one thing. But you um, said you said the key word was that or the key phrase you said you used to hope that they listen to the whole thing. But what happens is we're in a soundbite society and in order to rile their base up, particularly their base, I'm seeing so many of them are moved by just the headlines and they're not reading further into the story. Uh, and so they're not getting the entire picture. All they're doing, all they need is the headline in order for it, for it to be read me. Anything beyond that, they really are not interested in. They, they got their gotcha moment and then they moved on. And, and, and so that was the strategy, it seemed, of a lot of these Republican senators is to, to, to put that sound bite out there. And just enough to get their base salivating. Well, I hope one headline was is Lindsey Graham exhibits microaggression in its truest form because the number of times that he not only raised his voice and interrupted her was very disrespectful, extremely disrespectful. And it is again something that um, a lot of minorities experience over and over again. And if we have that response of anger, that similar response of anger and interruption, it is not perceived in the same manner so again kudos to her and every time he interrupted her and she put her head down i was like yeah i know what you're thinking <laughs> you, you want to scream and you want to be like man if i could jump out of my skin for one minute because i think we all <laughs> feel that way um if, especially even as women when someone is pretty much asking and they're not really asking a question but going through a monologue of telling me how i feel without giving me the opportunity to actually tell you how I feel. Um, I, I, I was like, I'm with you, Kintaji. Don't worry. 
the rest of the world, we're in our bedrooms going in, <laughs> yelling at him, telling him, interrupt her one more time. And I was glad, finally. And, I, and one of the things that also brushed me, I don't feel like the Democrats did enough during those hearings to show their support of her because it took the chairman, to me, way too long to step in and say, um, Mr. Graham, Senator Graham, let her answer the question. Senator Graham, let her answer the question. And then when he was out of time, the chairman let him continue. No, he's out of time. And he's not saying anything new that he didn't ask during the beginning of his portion. So let's move on. You know? Part of it is they, they knew it wasn't going to matter anyway. You know, not, <laughs> let them get out with the. So what has to happen is they have to. I believe the Democrats had to feel like they were being fair and overly fair. And that pendulum probably had to go a little bit too but far. What gets me about the Democratic Party? The Republican Party doesn't try to feel like they're being fair. So what well, do you have to feel well, like? <laughs> not that someone else action to dictate towards, but still. Because they know that she's going to go this way. And and so at this point, she, they know that she's going to be confirmed. There's nothing that's really going to stop them from confirming her. You got um, what's the guy's name from Virginia? Um, this uh, obstinate guy. Yeah, Manchin. Yeah. Manchin has already expressed his support for her. So it's going to happen. The key thing is that they have to uh, have give her the amount of as much credibility for the process, the hearing process, as they possibly could. With that, she has, they've already given her, and she has all the credibility needed in the world. And so that's what we see when you look at some Not her personal credibility, but the process. They have to, because anybody who could impugn the process, because that's all the, that's all the Republicans did was impugn the process for Brett Kavanaugh and even for Amy Coney Barrett. That's, that was their major criticism has been, how did they treat Brett Kavanaugh? And to your point, like you said earlier, if she were to respond back anywhere near like Brett Kavanaugh responded (laughs) when he was in that seat, uh, it would have had a whole different connotation. So I'm sure they had to walk a a fine line to say, okay, well, we need to make sure at least this process, because they're going to come up with everything, but at least make sure that the process was unimpeachable. Yeah, I mean, but to me, making sure someone is cut off when their time is exhausted, that's also ensuring that you are handling the process correctly and fairly. And I didn't think that the Democratic chairman did that as effectively as I would have liked, particularly given that towards that point, uh, Lindsey Graham um, was being extremely hostile. And, and I didn't appreciate that. But, you know, one of the things that you you also mentioned, Marsha Blackburn, and here I am in Tennessee in your state. Yes. And, and I was like, really? Our dear Marsha Blackburn. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> It's like, what is a woman? That That is your question. But do you know how to define a woman? And I'm just like, we're, again, where are we going with this? And, and over and over, it was funny at what point um, one of the senators said, you know, it's really on Congress to change the law or to do what they need to do so that the judges can then enforce whatever you have decided the law to be. But you can't have it, but you can't sit here and tell her, oh, you know, you need to define what a woman is when you're in this seat, but also say, oh, but you don't need to make any law. And then again, I I appreciate um, her responses. And I know some of the responses were, you know, that question is something that's being put before the Supreme Court. And so it would be unethical or not right for her to to comment. I think that was her response to that particular instance, because, you know, we know abortion is something that the the Supreme Court is reviewing. And that was kind of the context of the question. But again, I'm like, I I guess y'all know the world is watching. This is not the stage for you to take this moment and do it completely different than all the other hearings um, in in her similar situation. And that was what's so frustrating, because to me, it was like blatant discrimination. It was precisely the moment for the Republicans <laughs> because they, like the Democrats, knew that there was no way that she was not going to be confirmed. So they might as well maximize what they could get out of it. And the maximum thing that they could get out of it was to rile their base up. And the mere fact that she would not, and they knew in advance before she asked that question, she knew that she would not answer the question how she defines a woman because it would be too um, incendiary uh, and and really aggravate their base. Frankly, not giving a definition for it 
is um is just as incendiary to their base as well and that's all it was that was a political move that was one of those situations where i'm not sure that uh, that that it's her place in that context she said in this context i shouldn't be defending uh defining uh what a woman is and 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 the context is everything because as a judge as a potential uh a justice a supreme court justice I'm not sure that this is the the right context to espouse what my personal belief is, because as a Supreme Court judge, it's not my position to uphold my personal beliefs. It's to uphold what you, the Congress, has established as the law and to uphold the Constitution. And so um, so I, I, I don't know. It was it was one of those gotcha moments. It was catch 22. You couldn't answer it. Is what I'm saying, what gets me is. It's, I know you're like, it was just the right moment, but what you're using to rile up your base is pretty much racial undertones. It's a, it's a racist type mentality. You, you're, you're taking, I don't, I mean, I don't even know how to articulate it because again, we've had Supreme Court hearings um, or, you know, nominee hearings, and it's never been like this, but in this moment, you're not only doing it in a different manner, but again, if your point is to rile up your base, you're you're essentially this is why then critical race theory becomes a conversation. You are using people's prejudices and bias to rile them up, and that is it not. What, but that's but that's to me why it, it becomes blatant discrimination. Is why it's wrong. That's why we should be at outrage. Like, <laughs> but it works. It works, and and the irony of it is to me. Um, as as atrocious as you think some of the behaviors were toward her on this hearing, you know, the Republicans on their other side will say, oh, this was nowhere near the way that you all treated Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, There's no argument that's more convincing to a person than the one that supports his own predilections. And so if, if, if you say something that supports my own predilection, Oh yeah, I'm persuaded by it. And so the the point is is that if if I tell you if say to a Republican, oh they they really treated um, Brett Kavanaugh unfairly, then you know they immediately would agree with it just because that's their predilection, uh, and I don't have to persuade them at that point. But, but, that, but if the difference I, is Brett Kavanaugh was treated differently, and I'm not going to say unfairly differently because he came in. And there were sexual assault allegations. Now, that is something that does need to be addressed. They weren't at the beginning. They weren't at the beginning. They said they claimed that it was held to the last minute. Why? As you saw in when um, I can't remember which senator was, but they said, hey, you waited until like a day or two before these hearings to then come out with this information about the sexual assault allegations. And that's why, again, those hearings became a, hey, we need to ask you about this question. It became a different conversation. But now when we're talking about Kentandi Brown, if you're treating it differently just because this is going to be the first Black woman, that to me is wrong. That to me is unconstitutional. That to me is a different conversation than being treated differently because of sexual assault allegations. Well, they they wouldn't admit that they were treating this just differently, but just because she was a black woman, who would who would admit to that? <laughs> oh, they're not going to admit it. But it's, again, if you watch the hearings, it's blatantly clear. <laughs> That's what's what's blatantly clear, and and I, and I'm not saying that I disagree with you, but I'm just arguing the opposite okay. point because not, what's blatantly Marsha, different about it? Black to back to Marsha Blackburn, you're your representative. Uh-huh. Why are you asking her about critical race theory? Why are you asking her? Is it is it going to be her agenda to um, teach critical race theory on court? Did you ask Brett Kavanaugh that? Did you ask Amy Coney Barrett that? Did you ask any other senator? Has any other senator ever been asked about anything related to um, racial um, perceptions? If the nominee were a white nominee and they were coming from the left, and that was somebody who actually had been an advocate for civil rights. They would have asked the same question. No, they would not have. Oh, I absolutely, they would have. I don't believe you think that. They absolutely, they would have. Because it's one one reason why is because it's too hot 
it's too hot of a political topic right now. This is the the Republicans' whole game in this situation was to be political. They knew that they weren't going to score any points in the in the hearing process in her confirmation. So they can only gain points by bringing up the topics that are crucial to their base. Critical race theory is high among them right now. If you want to get your base out, all you have to do is tell them that judges that support critical race theory, regardless of whether they're black, white, green, or purple, are going to be appointed to the bench. You will rile up the base. Now, that is irregard- that's regardless of race, I think. It's a matter of an ideological thing that, that they're moving up. It's certainly more persuasive when you put it, a black face onto it. But if no. it, there are a lot of white people who believe in critical race theory and who support, yeah, you, who me, understand the notion of it. You know, to me, it sounds like when someone uh, is arguing for equal pay for women in sports and, and everyone will always say, well, men's sports will always get paid more. So then that's going to be the reason why you don't get paid more. It's because you're not going to bring in as much revenue as the men's sports. Without, but ignoring the fact that it's still discriminatory. So that, when, to me, your argument is saying, oh, well, it has a bigger picture. It's going to rile up their base. But again, you're rallying up your base using discriminatory and racial and biased undertones. That I get is, it. I get that, but it's not racial necessarily against her because I mean it's it's race related. It's a race related issue. It's not, not a racist you topic. Would I mean, not have asked a white male on that. You've ne- you've never I asked. Beg to differ. It's been 115, 115 Supreme Court um, hearings, and again, critical race theory has been around around for years. This and when did it become a political? When did it become a political topic? The past Why is two it, years. Even that, only, why, only the, even that, why is it a political topic? It became a political topic because the Republicans didn't have a platform. Again, and, and because they did, Republicans have been on a platform. When when you when Donald like, Trump <laughs> ran, when <laughs> Republicans <laughs> ran for 2020, they did not have a platform. Their platform was whatever Donald Trump wants to do. And, and that is not something that you can run on. And so what they had to do is to move into the divisive politics. And those things, uh, chief among them were critical race theories. You scare all your parents into thinking that if they go into the schools, they're going to teach your your pretty white children that they're evil and that they're oppressive. And they're going to teach the poor black kids that they are oppressed. And and that was a hot button topic. That's why that's why they uh, probably no, lost yeah. in Virginia. They, they did, it was. As you said earlier, they did it to rile up their base, knowing that that bias, that racial bias, is what riled up that base, and that is wrong. And that to me, you you if it was a white man, you wouldn't have done it. And I know you think so, I don't know you think differently, but I to me, I'm like uh, history has shown that you have not used those type of racial sensitive topics in those hearings as you just did today with this person. And, and I, I didn't like that. Um, they, that, who was the, uh, North, what's his name? Northern or, um, gosh, who was the guy that just lost the Democrat who just lost in, and I want to say it was Virginia. Um, you know, the Democrats, they said that they lost Virginia by ignoring the parents there. And, um, God, what's the, candidate's name i i want to say that it was northrum <laughs> but but they 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 castigated him uh and they cast him in a light of critical race theory and ignoring and being a supporter of critical race theory as well uh and he was white and so it was not just black people they're not just casting black people as enemies uh as enemies with uh critical race theory they're actually talking Again, to various others previous Supreme Court nominees hearings, not to look at other campaigns, because that's a different conversation if you're talking about people running for either a a governor's position or a legislative position. That's a different conversation. Those people are actually talking, they're making policy. When you have a governor or when you have a, a legislator, they're campaigning on a policy. So yes, a critical race theory conversation can be had on that context. But when you are talking about a judge who is simply interpreting the law, there is no need. And again, history has shown because you haven't brought it up historically. There's no there need. Is a need. There is a need. You got to always keep it in the context of need. what you the Republicans' goal was. The goal wasn't to talk there, about it. The goal was to rile their base. It wasn't about her. 
Exactly. But they used her to do it. And that's why I'm like, that's exactly. Crazy. But they didn't just use her to do it just because she was black. That added a little <laughs> cherry on top. It, it made it probably more effective because she was black. Agree, but but, okay, well, but if, if there was a white judge on there who had anything to do, any support of civil rights, he would have been grilled about critical race theory as well. So, no, no, can't can't agree on that one. (laughs) (laughs) You ever heard the saying, the only thing worse than an N word is an N word lover? That's a, that's a, that's a, um, uh, an ideology that is pervasive amongst a lot of people. And if you, if you think that, um, that, that they would treat a black person worse, Look at how they'll treat some of the white people who are 100% quote unquote woke. And so they're, they're talking about really? woke. So you think they treat them worse than the black No, I'm not saying they treat them worse, but they treat them bad as well. I mean, they will get after them as well because they expect black people to talk about it. But when white people start talking about it, it's like you betrayed your own people. And so, um, but yeah, it's look at look at all the woke culture. There's so much criticism right now that they have now of corporations and who you know that aren't black uh, or aren't black owned or majority black owned. They're they're being criticized as well. And critical race theory and the woke culture actually all goes hand in hand. So if they're criticizing anybody who appears to be woke, they're going to criticize them regardless of what their race is because they don't and like the yeah, concept. I'm period. talking about time and place. That's my thing. I'm talking about time and place. This was neither the time nor the place. As history has shown, we have had I these agree. hearings before. This is not the time and the place. I agree. Except for the fact that they had a goal and their goal was to rile up there. It was political. <laughs> it was political. And they would have. Bias, yes. And that's and, why it's still wrong. <laughs> and they still would have done it if there was a white person on that bench who supported, who, who we'll even had it. If they had a white, a woke nominee on that base, on that uh, stand, they would have done the same thing. They would have asked the same question, um, at least of that. That's my belief. But what else got you riled up about the, uh, um, well, about so we, the we, hearing? We also had um, Senator Kennedy. Uh-huh. And I mean, he's, I mean, I, I respect the guy. I like the guy. But when he said, you are so articulate. <laughs> <laughs> We laugh, but it's also like, please, please, world, please stop saying that. I mean, she is a Harvard um, undergrad, Harvard law. All that is expected is known. We th- th- that does not need to be said. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, but that so that wasn't bad. Some of the good that I um, liked was. Let me say this. Let me say this. I don't. I don't get that. Um, and, and we've had this conversation about that. You are so articulate, but. When I hear somebody white say that to me, at least in my mind, um, what they're meaning is, I think you're smarter than me. Dude, <laughs> that's just you seeing the glass half full. <laughs> that's the way that's every time they say that, that's I mean, you are so articulate that I don't really even know how to even respond. I sound like an idiot when I talk to you or when we're having a conversation. I know that the words that I'm about to say sound like it's coming from an idiot, but I don't want it to be perceived that way. And so I'm acknowledging your brilliance and probably even esteeming your brilliance higher than mine. So uh, white people, you can call me articulate all you want to call me articulate, because this is what's going on, at least in my head when you say it. <laughs> Again, you see the glass half full and, you know, <laughs> on you, I see the history of this country. And so I don't think that's what they mean at all. <laughs> <laughs> We have a viewer who says that um, critical race theory will most likely be argued uh, um, there during her entire tenure. And so maybe it is appropriate. Maybe that's what they're saying is that it may have been an appropriate question to bring up. It's still not appropriate because, again, she's a judge. She's not someone out here trying to write policy. And so that's to me is why, again, I'm not you know, saying don't bring it up, but this is just not the time and place. That's a fine line, because if you write policy, you don't have to be the one to write policy to be able to strike it down. Again. And to enforce it. So. <laughs> again, she's not writing the policy, though. But she she might be the one to strike it down. 
if, if she if she strikes it down, it's because it's not the law. So then you, it's important for us to know what your positions are before no, it's then. it's important for us to understand, are you going to enforce the law or are you going to write policy? And if How she do says you interpret the law? Then that ends that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So moving on, so there were some good things you thought. So Yeah, there were definitely some good things. From the Republicans? Yeah, even from Republicans, because some of the questions to me were good questions. Um, you know, when they would ask her about some of the decisions, even granted how they asked the question, I wasn't a fan of. But like when they, in the beginning, when they asked her, you know, how how do you go about um, for the sentencing guidelines, determining if you're going to follow the guidelines, because uh, the guidelines are obviously recommended. They're not always mandatory. You're going to follow the guidelines. Are you going to... Um, deviate if you deviate what are the factors that you look for um and 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 to me that was those are good questions and i thought she answered them well and i to me that you can tell when she answers the question and to some degree i'm like okay that was a decent question versus when the answer is i can't answer then it's just a campaign question (laughs) um so no there there were some good questions and um and i thought I will say in, in a lot of comparison, I was like, man, this, some of this stuff is truly some good content. You know, we're, if we're going to talk about your decisions, then fine. When they would pull up some of the decisions and say, hey, on this on this actual um, opinion, you said X, Y, and Z. Now, hopefully, when they actually read the entire context of her response <laughs> versus when they just stopped at, um, well, you released this guy because he um, had was the COVID environment. And she was like, well, first of all, I did not release him. <laughs> so again, you've missed the whole context of the opinion. Um, but secondly, I never said that just because COVID is happening, that all murderers should be released. And so for you to say that I said that, it's wrong. I don't know if it's the good. So some of the senators did read the full context and talk about the opinions and have her respond. I thought that was good. Um, but some would take the sound bite, read the first sentence and then say, oh, so you think George Bush is a, <laughs> it's a reward of criminal. Again, are you reading the entire opinion or are you taking a sentence and um, turning it into, again, your soundbite? Well, so. I think that some of those questions, even though they may have been a little inflammatory and seem to have been political in nature, some, some of those questions are necessary to get out. Uh, during the process, and they know that that these guys will never answer those. Uh, I'm going back to, for example, Kavanaugh and uh, Coney Barrett and their responses on uh, Roe v. Wade. And, you know, both of them were like, well, we believe that this starry deceases or decisis has an effect and, you know, this is settled law or whatever else. But, you know, it's good if for no other reason to have it on videotape and documented that this was your position when you were seeking the nomination or seeking the appointment. Um, But then all of a sudden it changes after you're on the bench and we'll see what happens with this, uh, with the Texas abortion law that comes. We'll see how settled Roe v. Wade is at this point. (laughs) It's unsettled, very unsettled now, I'm sure, uh, in their minds. Although for the most part, again, you're, for when you're doing these hearings, you're not going to be able to answer a lot of these questions. Because again, they they did try to ask her, what, what do you think about Roe v. Wade? Would you support the current precedent? I mean, she can't answer that question. So yeah, I guess you have it on the record that you asked it, but you know she can't answer it. So that, you know that is what it is. But I was going to say, speaking of being different, Justice Thomas. Yes, well, <laughs> I was. I know you got to. I know you got to run yeah. here, and and I, I was going to leave that for my own rant, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so, now, so, so then let me, let me end with some good, um, and then I'll let you rant about this this time so, while well, I have to run. So, of course, at the end, um, Cory Booker. Uh-huh. <laughs> when he, I mean, he, he, he speaks, his, his content is always, always kind of really good, but when he talked about, you know, I see my mom and you, and, you know, when I came into this building, there were so many people, so many staff that just hugged me and cried, uh, and and I'm sure she also had that as she was walking in the steps participating in these hearings. I mean, I, I kind of got teary-eyed 
good. So, to kind of, I mean, like, I did the ugly car a little bit, but no, it was, it was, it was such a good ending moment. And I know that when he said it, there were still, you know, other, um, other centers that had to go, but giving the, just the exhaustion of the first couple of days and then for him to say, hey, I know, I know what you're feeling, but hey, just know as soon as you walk outside of the store, it's, it's crowds and crowds of people that are so emotional about this moment, so supportive of you, that it is so much bigger than the scrutiny that you're getting right now. And I mean, again, I, I was her daughter with the smile grin in the background, <laughs> the picture that's circulating. Um, so yeah, I mean, at, at that, and then also when her um, friend spoke, I mean, I, I was thinking, oh, if I have a friend that <laughs> you don't, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll come and say some nice things about you. I'll muster up the courage. <laughs> I'll even dab my beard. Even her husband. The, the support that he gave her was also extremely heartwarming. I know we talked about that before and because and, it still sends a message. Um, but I mean, I loved how after again, a day of grueling, she walks over to him. He embraces her and gives her a kiss on the forehead. It's, it's just like, I mean, again, considering that he's a white male, it's like, I, I could tell he, he's like, I, I know it. We've talked about this, and I know it. I get it. I already know. <laughs> I can see it. I might not have seen it before, but I see it. It's so blatant. I see it. And then for it, again, I, even I thought that was such a really good moment. Oh, and good. So, I'm glad you weren't turned off by a white man coming and kissing, <laughs> and kissing her right. on the forehead, you know, because that could be so demeaning and, you know, but Whatever. it could have been taken any kind of way. So, but we'll let you go. And, uh, yeah, carry on. Well, so thanks for tuning in with us today and giving us some of your time to to get off your show. I just knew you had to get off your shoulder what you had to. So, <laughs> all right. Well, enjoy the rest of the day. We um, but what's interesting though. But my here's my take, and you know, I pretty much I concur with everything she she said, other than you know, had to throw in a couple of extra. Uh, contrary points just for the sake of it, just to argue a different perspective. And that's what I do. But um, one thing that she said, and I'm not sure when the, what the context of this was or what, after what question it was, but she gave a um, testimony about when she first arrived on the campus of Harvard. And she said there were a whole bunch of school preppy uh, preppy boys on there. She said, much like my husband. And, and she didn't say it, but she was basically saying a whole bunch of white people there and an environment that um, there weren't many people that looked like her. And in that type of environment, she wondered, you know, I know I have achieved. I know I have done all these things. I know my ability. But you get in that environment and she thought, man, I'm all alone here. Am I able to make it? Am I able to compete? Which was, um, it was that one, that part right there sort of got me. She took to carry on with the conversation, she said, but then she walked as she kept walking across the campus. There was another person that came uh, across her path and it was a person who looked like her. And she just leaned over to her and said, persevere. And I thought that that was so impactful because there's so many. I had a very similar experience to that myself in getting to medical school because, you know, there's there's somebody taught us over the period of time that we don't belong. I don't know who I know it wasn't my parents and uh, I know it wasn't my aunts and uncles. It wasn't my brothers and sisters. It wasn't the people that I grew up with in my neighborhood who taught me that you don't belong, that you're not good enough, that you cannot accomplish. Whoever told me that also probably told her the same thing. And yet she finds herself and I found myself in a situation where we're wondering, is what they said about me possibly true? I know I'm right here at this moment and, and I'm at here at this moment because of my accomplishment, because of my ability, also because of the grace of God. I'm here and I wouldn't be here if 
I couldn't do it. But still those old tapes play in our mind again and and again and again that says you don't belong here. And sometimes we have to, I mean, well, all the time, if we plan to succeed, we have to battle against those. But sometimes we do need somebody to walk up right next to us and whisper in our ear, persevere, regardless of what the voices that you're hearing uh, from people who aren't the ones who know you, from people who aren't the ones who love you and the people who are not in your tribe. Persevere, despite the uh, the 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 discouragement of the sounds of those old tapes you keep hearing again and again in your voice. It was interesting to me because in, in medical school, I had, um, before going to medical school and even throughout high school, um, I would never imagine that I would be in a situation here where I would even be talking because I was very intimidated about letting anybody hear my voice. And so I, I wouldn't raise my hand and ask. I couldn't raise my hand to ask to go to the restroom. I was so nervous about being heard. And I was probably a junior or senior in high school, had to coach myself into doing it. But I saw one guy at a at a meeting, a national meeting. It was an Association of Academic Minority Physicians. And every, and I might have told this story before on this show, but every presentation that came up, this guy asked a question. And I'm wondering, like, how is it possible that he can know so much about so many different topics? And I realized it's not that he knew so much about so many different topics. It was that he learned how to ask a good question. So I committed at that moment uh, during my second year of medical school to be one who learned to ask a question. And so we're in class when they had panel discussions and at the end of a panel discussion, uh, frankly, this was, I think, a human sexuality and it was talking about sex in the elderly. And so a 72 year old man gets up and he talks about these very this very personal topic. And uh, at the end of the at the end of the session, he asks, are there any questions? And there's complete silence in the room. And he says, there's no question. And then everybody in the room turns and says, Mark, and starts laughing. And then I say, okay, well, yes, actually, I do have a question. And in that moment, I came up with a question. After I, after the lecture was over, one of my fellow students, a black student, came up to me and she said, you know, I think you really should stop asking these questions because they reflect negatively on us. And I'm sitting and thinking like, wow, that's interesting. I never thought that. She said, you heard how everybody was laughing when they said uh, Mark. And no sooner than those words came out of her mouth, one of the associate deans walked by and she said, I love your questions. I said to her, I said, you know, this is the reason why I do it, because I've had so many of the other professors who said, it's so frustrating to be on a panel and at the end of the discussion, not have someone ask the question. But when I look out in the audience and I see that you're out there, then I know there's going to be a good question that's asked. And I told her, I said, you know, if there's going to be someone who they can count on and who they can depend on to give a good, intelligent question, I'd much rather it be one of us. But I told that whole story to really say how pervasive this mindset is and how many people have been told that you don't belong here. And if by our grace and by our grad, I mean, by our generosity and our charity, we've allowed you to be there, which is the mentality in some cases, we've allowed you to be there or somehow or another you sneaked through the door. You should be seen and not heard. And unfortunately, that's a belief that many of us have, even though we won't necessarily acknowledge it. We say we need to slide under the radar because we don't know if we can make it because we've listened to too many of those voices in the past. We don't know. We don't want it to be discovered that we probably shouldn't be there or we think that we shouldn't be there. But if you actually persevere, you find out, you know what? All those things that those people have been telling me that about me negative about me that i can accomplish that i that i don't belong here and that i am less than those were lies and i can't believe that i actually fell for some of them and and, and so i'm so grateful for uh having come to that revelation myself because after persevering i realized like wait a minute these people these aren't smart people they, and they certainly aren't smarter than i am 
I mean, I won't say that they're not smart people. They are smart people. But, you know, in your mind, because you've been told so much um, that they're much better than you are and they're much smarter than you are, you start believing that until you actually persevere and you find out you're like, no, they aren't. No, they aren't. And so this is the reason why now I'm saying, fine, you can uh, tell me I'm articulate all I want to. All you want to tell me that. But my perception of that is going to be is that you recognize that I have something to say and you recognize that I'm going to say it and say it well, probably better than you could say it. And my, my perception is that when you if you feel the need to have to say that, it's probably because you recognize a strength that I have that accentuates your weakness. So that's just my position on it. So that's that's my thought in a nutshell. Um, one other thing I did want to uh, mention about this past hearing I saw on um, social media, this post, I think when um, Marsha Blackburn asked the question, can you define a woman? I don't think that in this context, and I agree with uh, Judge Brown, that in this context, it's not appropriate for her to uh, define what a woman is. I hope personally she believes that a woman is, I don't, I don't care what she believes personally because it doesn't affect my salvation. It doesn't affect my religion or my position or what I would teach my children. I believe a woman is a person who was genetically born. Let me be clear about this. Was genetically born a woman uh, who has two X chromosomes who God intended to be a woman. Anything other than that, then in my mind, it's not a woman. You can have a transgender surgery and you can, at that point, you can be considered a woman. And in this society, if society decides to accept you as a woman, or if the law dictates that you be treated as a woman, I might not like the law, but guess what? I need to uphold the law. I need to, uh, to, to, to abide by the law. And so as, as an officer of the court, um, what has to happen is that they are bound by what the law is. And um, the only way that we can change the law is by putting people into those con into those positions uh, that have the authority to change it. So you can use that as your as your rallying cry to say, well, if this is important for me that, you know, the gender lines are not blurred, then then that's what I'm going to fight for. But for me. I figured the world's going to be the world and there's nothing that I can do to change quote unquote, the world. The only thing that I can do is I can affect change by ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ and being uncompromising in that. If you choose to reject that, then it's not my position to castigate you or to cast you into hell. Uh, my position is to speak the word and to invite you to experience the life of salvation that we found in Jesus Christ. If you choose not to accept that, that's your prerogative. And so um, if the law, if the world, because we are citizens of the kingdom of God, that takes precedence over our citizenry in the United States and over the laws and whatever that they make in that. This is just my philosophy, y'all. You don't have to subscribe to that, but this is my philosophy. If you are indeed a member of the kingdom of God, then you behave yourself every day and in every way according to the laws of your kingdom, regardless of what the laws around you uh, suggest. We expect as members of the kingdom of God, we know that this world will experience a great level of moral decadence. We also know if you believe the if you believe the Bible, that there is nothing that you're going to be able to do to stop that course. And so why do we exercise, uh, why do we expend so much energy in these exercises of futility? Our goal should not be to change the laws in the country. It should not be to change uh, the laws of our law. I mean, change the minds of our lawmakers in, in hopes that they're going to change the laws. Um, you can do that, but don't spend a lot of energy doing that. That's never what we were told to do. We were told to minister to individuals' hearts. And as we as we minister to individuals' hearts, there's going to be a remnant of those people who will say, this is not right. And even though I recognize that it's not right, I can't stop you from doing, and I won't stop you from doing what is evil in the sight of God. I can't force you to not do what's evil in the sight of God. 
only thing that I can do is to encourage you to not do those things. And so I don't get upset when I see that the laws don't go my way. I don't start maneuvering and don't start conniving, trying to fabricate ways to um, to work around the system to get my preference put into place. No, I don't do that. All of that to say, I saw a post on um, on uh, Twitter or something like that. A friend of mine actually posted this famous guy. Actually, it was a picture of a baby being born, and it was referencing Katanji Brown's uh, uh, Jackson Brown's uh, response to Marsha Blackburn's question about "Can you define a woman?" She said, "I don't know. I'm not a biologist." And um, the 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 photo was. A woman who had just given birth and the doctors holding the baby, they said, is it a boy or a girl? He said, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. And so he thought it was very funny and which is fine. You can think that's funny. And um, and even when I saw it, I thought it was kind of funny. I was like, ha, 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 ha. It was a fun play on whatever happened there. But what troubled me is that he took it a little bit further. And he said, if you are a believer and you're offended by this, picture, then there's something wrong with your faith in God. And I'm like, ah, wait a minute now. I think we've taken uh, a lot of popular culture and political culture, and we've deified it way too much. And in that situation, I, I had to respond to him. I said, yes, I, I agree with you uh, on a lot of things, but on this one, brother, I love you, but I think you're flat out wrong on this. Because our goal as Christians should not, if we are offended by that, I can be offended by that and still be right with God. I can be offended by the fact that you post something that will potentially uh, alienate the um, the opportunity for uh, people to come into the knowledge of God because they view you now as an enemy of you. And you can never draw people to Christ when they believe you are an enemy. You have to first one, understand the position. You have to understand that maybe they're deceived. Maybe, maybe like I was deceived when I went to medical school, uh, because of the things that I heard from all around me. But when we persevere, and if we continue to one, maintain that type of relationship and, and explain to and show somebody how this is wrong, in love and not necessarily in judgment, as a lot of times we as Christians want to do, if we can show them how that position is wrong, then we can perhaps win them over to Christ and we can change their perceptions. But right now the world is speaking a lot of things into people's ears uh, about what is right, what is acceptable, what is the way, uh, what is the truth. And the only way that somebody can be uh, influenced by something that you say or the words that you minister is that you have to be a trusted voice. And if you're not a trusted voice because they view you as enemies, if they view you as the uh, their enemy, then uh, you're not going to be effective in your witness. And so, yeah, I think we should probably avoid things that we know can be offensive to um, needlessly offensive to uh, the lost, if we intend to reach them. Granted, the word of God is going to be offensive to some people. I'm not saying compromise ever on the word of God, but we have to be wise as a serpent and hum harmless as doves. We have to know how to actually interact with people in order to accomplish uh, a goal of ministry uh, to them. Otherwise, you know, our faith is weak. Our faith is dead and useless to this world. Um, so that was just my little rant on that one. I'd love to hear what you thoughts, what your thoughts are about that. Um, I get so tired sometimes of really hearing Christians get so judgmental. And, and I may seem judgmental myself. And if I'm judging somebody, I'm probably judging the church more than I'm judging, not the church, but judging those who profess to be Christians more than I'm judging those who are lost. Why? Because we are supposed to be the ones who know the truth. And if we know the truth, we should do the truth and we should uh, and the truth should be exemplified in all of our behaviors, not just when we're in church or something. And I, I think that the that Christianity has become 
so hostile to people who have different beliefs to them that will never reach anybody else and will become a dying religion um, because we don't know how to uh, adjust with those people. There was a, a scripture that I was trying to remember what it was, and it was saying that um, uh, when a man wound up selling um, selling the talents or something like that, I think it was it wasn't the talents necessarily. It was a man who was entrusted with some good uh, or to collect debts from all of the master's um, debtors. And when he came to him, he found out that the master came to him and said that you had not been collecting debts according to. And so I was going to now basically fire you. And uh, the man, before he got fired, what he decided that he would do was to go to all of the people who owed this master some money. And he said, if you owed him a hundred dollars, for example, uh, I'll accept $60 if you give it to me right now. And um, and so he collected that and he went through all these people and basically collected what he could collect from that person. And what he was doing, the scripture was saying that this person was actually wise because he understood that when he was losing his current position uh, of favor with his current master, that he went and garnered other. The reason why he went and gave these other people these deals was because he knew that he would need to be able to find refuge with them at some point. So he learned to make peace with the people that were around him because he might it might have actually been uh, a point when he needed to, them to invite them into his house and he needed to be effective there. I wish I could remember exactly what the scripture was and I could exegete it a little bit better for you there. But, but that was the point is that we have to learn how to be uh, congenial with the people that we hope to reach, because at some point we are going to be persecuted as Christians, and we may actually need a little refuge from those people who uh, who we alienated before, those people who we uh, demeaned before as saying that they're so unholy and that there's no way that their relationship could possibly be right with God because of some of the things that they they tolerate or that they endorse, maybe not even, I won't say endorse, endorse is a little too strong, but because of some of the things that they tolerate. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things that we can tolerate when we understand that there is a greater goal on the other side. And the greater goal has always has to be eternity for us. Um, there's a the thing that I put in my, in my upcoming book that I'm writing that um, it was a saying that, that I really like. It says that we lose, um, we become so, ah, that we should not lose our eternal, eternal, internal focus pursuing a um, mortal objective. And, and we should never lose our eternal uh, perspective pursuing a mortal objective. And what I'm saying is saying, you know, you can always pursue these mortal, yes, we want everybody to abide by the law. We want to see the laws change. That's a mortal objective. But we should never compromise our eternal perspective because the eternal perspective always has to be, where is this person going to spend eternity? Can, is this person's salvation more important than to me than seeing this law pass? Is it more important to me to be able to tell this person in this moment that, you know, I know you're a male and you feel like you're a female trapped in a in, in a in a male's body. Is it more important for me to tell that person you're a lie, you're deceived by the by the enemy? Or is it more important for me to, first of all, uh, find friendship with this person? become a trusted uh, advisor to this person and then advise them and show them the way of Christ and show them the error of their way by, you know, more, in a much more gentle way. Um, we always must maintain our eternal perspective. We shouldn't compromise our eternal perspective pursuing a mortal objective. And um, so with that, y'all, I think we're going to end this show I'd uh, love to hear what your thoughts are. Feel free still to comment, post, and do uh, whatever else. We do appreciate all of your comments and your suggestions here on the, round ta 
on the Roundtable Consult. You can catch us here on Facebook Live every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can catch us on StarRadio.com as well as on your favorite podcast listening platform every week. Until next week, we wish you a fantastic, a blessed and enjoyable week. Y'all take care. This has been another episode of the Roundtable Consult. Listen to this or other episodes at your convenience on your favorite podcast directory or listening app. Or catch us live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern at facebook.com forward slash roundtable consult. Tune in live and join the conversation.